Today's episode of the Cities Mac Podcast on the Cities Mac Podcast Network is brought to you and you and you because I assume you listen to this with all your friends in the car. Brought to you by Patreon. We're loving the support that we're getting from members of the Cities Mac community, whether you're a listener, a reader, or someone who just follows us on Twitter. Probably not because you're listening to this podcast. We are super thankful for all your contributions to keep the site going. We've got some cool things planned, and we're just finishing up our summer break. I have continued bringing you guys the podcast because I love doing this. So soon we've got the return of the Wood Report, our famous and popular cross-country rankings from last year. Stephen Kirsch and Ryan Sterner are going to be returning to the blog pretty soon. Myself and Scott will also bring you the Lane 9 column every Monday where we recap all the top action in track and field and road racing. We're always looking to bring on some more contributors, and with your support, it can happen. If you like what we do, send us any dollar amount at patreon.com slash and your help will feed the bloggers and keep this show going. We're having fun. We're glad you're enjoying it, and we want to keep making cool stuff. Patreon.com slash Hit it up right now. My guest for today's show is Stephanie Bruce. She is a professional runner for NAZ Elite, and earlier this month, she won her first U.S. national title with a victory at the AJC Peachtree 10K. She's a mother of two. She's a great follow on social media, and uh, several listeners requested that I get her on the show. I never want to let the listeners down, and I thought it was time. So we chatted last week, and I got her thoughts on everything from patience with breakthroughs, the 2020 trials, coming back from pregnancy, and much more. So, uh, Let's start the show. All right. Several people have requested this episode, and now we welcome on uh, Stephanie Bruce to the City of Smag podcast. Stephanie, uh, How's it going? I mean, you're still a couple weeks after the your, winning your first national title. So first off, congrats. It's a long time coming. And after the race, I guess you tweeted, I think it was, quote, lots of emotions, don't quite have the words yet. So my question is, do you have these words yet? <laughs> yeah, I kind of have the words. Um, I feel like, oh, a couple of weeks, like it's getting old now <laughs> that I won that title. So now I have to do something good again. Um, no, I think it's it's more like... I don't know if it's appreciation or it's maybe validation, but you can believe in yourself for so long and either your coach or your teammates or people who support you just like believe it can happen and you can believe that. And I think in distance running, it's like you always wish you could just tell someone, Hey, I'm super fit. It just hasn't been shown in the right place. And so it was just the right place in the right time. And it kind of just all came together on the day. Um, I think what's even more special like I felt like garbage that morning. I felt so bad warming up. <laughs> you know, it was one of those days where you're like, don't worry about how you feel. You know, like things can change throughout a race. Um, and, and they certainly do. And I took a little bit of a, of a gamble because it was, a, it was a pretty hot pace. Um, but I just said, Hey, if, if, um, I'm going to die, maybe they'll die too. And <laughs> maybe you can be stronger later in the race. Um, yeah. So there was kind of a lot of uh, mental battles I had to get through in order to, to be where I was at. And then, yeah, I just got myself in a good position. So it's been, it's been a really fun last couple of weeks. 
it's funny how that works out where it's like you feel so bad and then it turns out to be an incredible performance. Has there been an instance where you woke up, felt amazing, and then it just didn't go your way? No, um, actually, for the for the most part, I think in my career, I, I normally feel like pretty terrible, but it's never been to the point where then I redeem myself and feel really great in the race. Um, I would say the other instance was USA track where I actually woke up that morning and even when I did my shakeout run and I warmed up I just said something like special is going to happen I just feel really good and so I hadn't had that happen in a really long time um, so it was almost like opposite feelings but it just kind of shows how you can't attach too much um, I guess uh, emotional like attachment to how you feel because you never know when you get out in the race. We'll come back to uh, USA's on the track in a bit, but we'll stick on uh, Peachtree. So breaking the tape, I, I am of the opinion that it's an art. You know, it's the finish line photo that's going to get remembered for, you know, years to come. It might end up being framed. Uh, you ended up, I think, just putting your, your arm up right before the finish line. You, there's many different styles to it. You could be Tim Ritchie where you just punch through the finish line. You could be Shalane Flanagan, you know, throwing your arms up in disbelief. Uh, and you've had a couple, I guess, chances to break the tape this year with, you know, the rock and roll marathon earlier into the year, this being your first national title, when did you can see the finish line? Are you, do you have a split second to think of that photo? <laughs> I love that you asked this. Cause totally like, I don't know. I think since 2008, I have been practicing like my finish line photo. Um, I remember when I was trying to think about making the Olympic team in 2012 in the marathon. And then even in 2016, before I got pregnant, like <laughs> I envisioned that I would have in the marathon, like a longer gap between the different places. So I did a lot of like pointing to the crowds and like fist pumping. And I would do this on the street that we lived in, in Eugene. So like, I literally would do it like on my easy runs coming home. And I'm like, I hope nobody sees me doing this, <laughs> but I, I feel like it's just honest. Every runner has to do that. Right. Um, it was funny though, the day before at the um, press conference, one of the questions they asked, um, Sarah Hall, they're like, what is the best finish line etiquette if you are to break the tape? And Sarah was like, don't hold up the number one. She was like, that's super egotistical. Um, and so she just said she liked the light arms up. But in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm going to fist pump the crap out of that finish line. So I think the one fist was definitely what I was going for. That's awesome. Yeah, there's been many times where I could, the one moment in particular that sticks out to me is Meb coming down Boylston Street and just kind of like throwing up the the fist. And so there's been times where, you know, I'm feeling good at the end of my run and I have to do it. <laughs> totally. It's very true. The fist pump is very, there's just something like more powerful and meaningful to it because it's almost like it just carries the weight of like how sweet this feeling is to you. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. So, that race was just, I mean, stacked. It's the biggest, I think, 4th of July race. And then at the same time, they just decided to throw in all these huge names this year. Uh, for you, I guess, how did you approach the race confidence-wise, I guess, coming in after USA's? Well, you know, I train every day with Alphine Tillamook, and she has just been crushing it on the roads this spring. And so you know, I couldn't even keep up with her in practice. I mean, she would just destroy me on workouts, but I kind of told myself if you can just stay close to her in workouts, you know, she'll, she'll push you to do better in the races. And we were in the New York mini in early 
um, June and I just had an off day. I didn't feel very good there. And same thing. She like destroyed me. I think she beat me by almost 40 seconds there. And it was still like a okay day for me. I think I ran 32.55, which ended up being a road PR. But I just, you know, when you just feel like that's not what you're capable of, that's what that day was for me. Um, and so for so long, since I had finished pretty far behind, you know, maybe a lot of these Americans or Sarah Hall beat me in a sprint finish in a half marathon earlier this year. I hadn't raced uh, Gwen head to head, but she had been running incredible times. Um, so when I go into races, I very much respect my competition almost to the point of, I'm a little fearful because I'm like, wow, I've never run like the, the times that they have. I don't know if I can run with them. Um, but something just like changed in me and I'm like, just give yourself a chance. Don't let how good they've run in this kind of dictate how well they're going to run here. And so I almost didn't think very much in the race. I just said, just try to be composed and relax and yeah. I just, I had this like, I guess, quiet confidence about me. Um, And I I knew after running USA's and being as close as I was to Molly Huddle and Mariel Hall, like I knew I had some speed in my legs and that gave me confidence that if I was with someone late in the race, um, it was going to be hard for them to beat me. When have there been moments, I guess, how does that compare now? I guess this new, I, I I guess it wouldn't even be new. It's just something that, you know, has been refreshed for you to not to be, I think, a little bit more confident at the start of races. When was it like the ultimate, I guess, sort of, when was it like really overwhelming? Has there ever been a race where it might have been like a, a starting line of an Olympic marathon trials or something like that, where you look around and you're like, whew, it's going to be a really hard one? Yeah, I'm trying to think what that was. Um, I mean, Probably a 2012 Olympic trial marathon. I had run 229 the year before, and that kind of put me in the conversation of, you know, she has a shot to make the Olympic team. But really, if I was being honest, I mean, at that time, Shalane, Desi, Kara, Amy, they had all run 227 or better, and that's just a big jump. And so I think I I trained a little differently going into that race because I put it such on a pedestal um, that I really wasn't. Uh, running within myself and I was a little bit um, out of my element going into that race and then you know I actually dropped out of that race and that was the only race I've ever dropped out of my career it kind of just showed me how sometimes we can put so much stock into making Olympic teams but there's so many other races and career moments that we can have that if you let not making that team define your career I mean the majority of us (laughs) are going to call it a failure career because only three people make the Olympic team. Um, so yeah, probably from 2012 on, I kind of changed my thinking. And then with taking a break to have children, I really just, I needed the training to back up what my thoughts were. Like I always had the confidence, but I didn't have the training behind me. And I think this year is kind of when it finally hit that, Hey, you can start to race with these women because you now have a solid base behind you. And it's perfectly timed because we just happen to be in this huge U S women's marathon boom where it's, I don't think it's ever been this deep. (laughs) No, it's crazy right now. And I think that's something that has been important for me to, I guess, look at in the scheme of things, like heading into 2020, I could have the race of my life and run like, 224 flat and get fourth place but 
it's like, I can't call that a disappointment because that would be a huge run, but it just means that we're sending amazing teams to the Olympics. And at the end of the day, although that's ultimately my goal, you know, I also want us distance running to just keep emerging and keep growing. And if I can be part of that process, you know, that's a job well done for me. What's the best part of the training setup that you have right now? Because, uh, I guess like from an outside observer's perspective, it, it seems like it's you, uh, Alphine and uh, Kellen. I mean, those are three very, I guess, seasoned uh, marathon veterans and just road racing veterans that you guys bring a lot to the table that you can feed off of each other. And now you're also bringing in some 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 younger runners into the group. At the same time, a lot of people. This was, I think, a, a thing that I talked to some of the guys in the fall. It's like you guys are also just in a couple of years going to be competing for, you know, those, the three spots on the Olympic uh, marathon team. So for you, I guess, what, what are some of the, the, the best parts of it? And then I think some of the, the parts that, you know, are a little bit challenging. Yeah. So I would say the best parts are just what you said, you know, training with Kellen and Alphine, they're so high level. They have really changed my perspective of how hard we can work. Um, and with Kellen having run, 224 and winning grandmas. I mean, that was like years in the making. And I remember I was just trying to hold on to her the last cycle we were training for New York last fall. And then to see the things that she's able to accomplish after all that training, like gives me such motivation. I don't know if it means that I'm ready to run 224, but you know, I was, I've been very close to her. And then with Alphine, just not only winning, you know, nine national titles, but her international presence, you know, anytime you can run in road races and, and beat some of the best, you know, East Africans, um, that's huge. And that gives us great confidence going into these next world marathon majors thinking, Hey, you know, Shalane won, Kara won New York, Desi won Boston, um, Kellen won grandma's like, can we start to all of a sudden have Americans be on the podium? And so just, it's very high level every day. You, you don't off, you can't come to practice and not on your A game. Um, and I, I think that's really encouraging and yeah, I don't know if it's a negative going into the trials, but it is going to be challenging because there's three of us and there are three spots, but there's also 12 to 13 other great American women out there. Um, I don't think when we get out there, we will have that feeling towards one another. You know, I think if it works to help one another, great, but same as Peachtree. We want to beat each other on the day if we can help each other get there and then kind of all bets are off on the starting line. What's the most exciting part of the, the new crew that you have coming in? It's three really young, I guess, just stars fresh out of college. Yeah, um, so we have four, I guess she wasn't announced with the three, but Danielle Shanahan, That's right. um, I think, I think because she didn't go through her last track season at NCA, she was a little off the radar, but she's run, she ran 15, like 37. Um, you know, so she's, she's no slouch, but they add, I don't know, they add youth because <laughs> they're all 10 years younger <laughs> than me. Um, they add a little bit of speed and just that hungry feeling that sometimes I don't necessarily think you lose, but they just, they just keep you on your toes a little bit more and they're really um, they're really naive to a lot of the parts of the sport that sometimes we've been in it so long, you get a little jaded. And so I think it's a great opportunity for us to show them the ropes, um, but they can also, like they don't know what's good almost and what's not good. And they'll almost kind of have this attitude of like, we don't care. We're just going to go out and do our thing because 
they're really hung you know what I mean um well I'm like whoa let's go out a little slower let's go out a little easier so I could see that getting interesting but I think it's going to be great I mean we're going to have um seven yeah super high level women training on the same team and there's been this joke for like a few months because you know the Bowerman babes for so long had this like powerhouse you join the team you make an Olympic team over there um and so we don't have that but we're like we got to come up with a name like what could the Hoka blank be um nothing's working well with H's because all the words for H are kind of derogatory <laughs> for, for women so we haven't come up with a good um so if you have any suggestions for the Hoka ladies what could that be because if you think of all the H's those names should not yeah. <laughs> oh man that's, that's I know. your imagination is going right now <laughs> oh boy that's hilarious um so yeah, i guess like is there also i guess advice because these are really talented runners coming out of the ncaa scene where they had a lot of success in college there's a lot there's also you know the success stories that we find particularly in road racing where they might have not have had like the best track careers coming out of college so I guess what kind of advice would you have for those uh those runners who maybe don't have the accolades and credentials on the track just yet but will eventually find themselves on the road in the next couple years um where it takes time I guess it does I mean that was Kellen and I I think both of our neither of us broke 16 minutes in college for the 5k she didn't even run a 10k she was actually really great at the mile she was third indoors NCAs um but my 10 KPR was like 33, 23. And these girls like smoke that they've all run a minute faster. So I'm almost kind of like, I don't have advice. You guys were a lot better <laughs> than we are. So just don't mess up <laughs> um, in these next few years. No, I think their biggest challenge will be joining a new group, moving to 7,000 feet, probably not overdoing it, not overtraining, like harnessing their talent and trusting that they don't have to make these huge jumps right away if they can just adapt to Coach Ben's training and they can absorb extra mileage. They're naturally just they're going to flourish and they're going to do really well. And they don't they don't have to almost rush the process, which I know when you're coming out of college, like you just want to be good yesterday. But um Similar to my peach tree, you know, like I said, it took 10 years. I did a lot along the way, but sometimes that's just the way a career goes. And to me, it didn't matter if it happened right out of college or if it happened now. It's still just as rewarding to me. I'm guessing not all of them are in Flagstaff just yet. And like you maybe haven't done workouts with them all just yet, but I think it was really funny in the last episode that I did with Shelby, she was talking about the new additions to their group and how um, she's looking forward to seeing them just going through those suffer moments after a workout where they're just laid out on the track and how she, how much she misses those kind of workouts. Do you remember, I guess the first couple workouts you had with Ben and it, did they leave you on the ground and what are, I guess, like, do you, are you looking forward to seeing that with <laughs> Oh, totally. I mean, you totally, I, you totally want them to be like, Oh, 540 pace. Like that's not that hard. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well at 7,000 feet, that's really hard. You're going to taste blood and it's going to feel awful. Um, so yeah, no, I'm excited for them to go out too hard and suffer from it. I've done, I did one workout with Alice. Um, but luckily like she's a very good pacer. She's actually very much like me. She's like a metronome. So she didn't, 
really have a supper fest, um, and she's waiting to see if she um, gets selected for the British team for Europeans. But um, we were telling her about Buffalo Park, which is where she's working out this Friday, and um, we were kind of scaring her a little bit. And she's like, oh, I'm like, if you run six-minute pace out there, that's, like, really good. And for her and what she's run, she's probably like, six-minute pace? Like, that's not that good, but it is good at 7,000 feet. Um, For me, I didn't have too many – like blow ups with coach Ben, because I, same thing. I never really went out too hard, but over the last year, I definitely had workouts that he gave me on paper. And I'm like, you know, that scene in old school where, um, Will Ferrell gets the dart, uh, shot in his neck. And he's like, you have a dart in your neck. And he's like, you're crazy, man. I like you. (laughs) Like that is basically getting coach Ben's training. I'm kind of like, Oh, that's my paces. Like you're crazy, Ben. Um, (laughs) That still happens. Like sometimes I will be like, you're insane. Like there's no way I'll tell you one workout I did before London marathon. And we go down to camp Verde, which is um, lower elevation. It's like 3,300 feet, but it was a three mile marathon effort. So it was about 537 pace. And then you get four minutes rest. And then I did a mile at 534, one minute rest, a mile at 520, two minutes rest, a mile at 534, one minute rest, a mile at 511, two minutes rest, a mile at 534, one minute rest, and then a mile at 502, and then uh, four minutes rest. And then I had to go back and do three more miles um, at 535 pace for marathon pace (laughs) and like right and before it I was like there's no way but then you do it and it's crazy how coach Ben just knows exactly what pace to give you and he like never sets you up for failure it's the most impressive thing I've ever seen a coach um like be able to give his athlete and then yeah so that brought me to my knees for sure after (laughs) but I was able to do it yeah i remember when i had i think scott fable on the podcast he was like yep it's the same exact thing it's like you don't know how you're gonna get through it but you somehow find a way and you're breathing it yeah, <laughs> um, exactly before i forget i guess this is a fun question that i guess my friend rj mcnichols did a documentary on on flagstaff um and the running culture out there not too long ago and so i guess one of the questions that he posed a lot of the people in the documentary was what's the most impressive workout you've seen in flagstaff so for you i guess what have you witnessed that is like you're you're still wowed about? Oh, man, that's a good one. Um, I mean, probably because I'm a little more skewed, just it's probably being someone on our team. I mean, Kellen's steady states have been pretty remarkable. I think before grandma's, she ran 15 or 16 miles, averaging 541. Ooh. And the rough conversion for that is like 528 or 527 down at sea level. But then it's awesome. She ended up averaging 5:30 at Grandma's, so she was pretty right on. Um, that that's always been very impressive to me. Some of the guys have done some crazy stuff. Um, I can't think of offhand. I don't know. It, it's almost like there's just a marker. Like anytime women are running something under 5:20 pace for a long time, or guys are running under like 4:50 pace, that's like very impressive and you don't understand it until you come out and train i would say definitely um so actually while we were on the subject of atlanta uh atlanta the 2020 trials will be held there for a lot of for some of the listeners who may may not have remembered so i guess you had a chance to uh run some of the course the rumor is that it's super hilly what 
did you take away from this very, very early on recon trip that you had? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if it was because of the day after the race and I was really tired, but I'm like, this is going to be the hardest marathon ever. <laughs> like it was a, it was a really challenging course and I can't tell you exactly why it just, it was never flat. They call it like Atlanta flat. It was just rolling hills the whole time. There were no like huge significant hills, but because it'll be a loop course, I think it will just creep up on you and it will be like a cumulative fatigue kind of feeling. Um, so it was great to see that we definitely want to be training on hills over the next year and a half. Um, but I think it'll be an awesome race because it can be so spectator friendly. I mean, it runs through downtown. It runs through all the different um, like iconic spots of Atlanta, finishes and starts in Centennial Olympic Park. So it's it's going to be pretty awesome, and I think they'll have a great showing there. But definitely need to be doing some work on um, hilly terrain. And, it, and the course profile for Tokyo is not that much different. It just that also looks to be just really really brutal. Yeah, you know, usually they do try to like mimic. I don't know if it will be as I don't know if Tokyo will be as hilly, um, but you will have the heat and humidity. You know, having it be in August, so I think that'll be. Um, beneficial, although in February in Atlanta, you could get 80 degrees or you could get like 40. So that'll be a little bit of a wild card, I think. Uh, in terms of being part of just like a really hot race where it just didn't feel all that great from start to finish, London Marathon this year. I mean, I, I ran it. I was so mad when I kept seeing the forecast. I was just like, how are we going to have the hottest race on record? Like, of course, it's going to happen the year that I'm part of it. Uh, for you, I guess you, you've blogged, I think, before about just come, a little bit of the disappointment you had coming out of that race. Um, so for you, I guess, did you have the same, go through the same whirlwind of emotions as me where it was just like, why, why this year? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I remember like on Wednesday, they're like, oh, hottest April 22nd since 1948. And I'm like, cool, really great stat. <laughs> like people are in their bathing suits, like drinking beer outside the hotel. And I'm like, no, you guys should be bundled up in sweaters because we're running a marathon. <laughs> um, so, you know, with, with our team and with Coach Ben, like he tries to keep us very relaxed and not worrying about the weather. But you can't hide. You just know the physiological, you know, detriment that once a marathon starts to be over even just 60 degrees, it's just, it becomes um, more of a suffer fest and you're just going to be working harder from much earlier on. I will be honest. I don't know if the heat was exactly the huge factor that had um, the negative effect on me. You know, I had some blood issues that we had been figuring out and it just happened at the wrong time right before London. Um, and I, I hadn't resolved it and figured it out. So unfortunately, like the first mile was like a death march. It felt really hard mile one. And I knew this was going to be a long race. Um, the heat component was frustrating because I have run well in the heat and I, I definitely know how like Atlanta was super hot world cross last year. So I feel like my body knows how to regulate well in the heat, but because I had some blood levels off, it was just exponential. And it was, it was one of the hardest marathons I've ever had to just, I hate saying the word, but like slog through, like it was just a suffer fest the whole time. Yeah, the course was was beautiful. I mean, I would love Perfect. to. I would love to do it again, just not in like eighty, <laughs> ninety degree weather. <laughs> I know, and I think for the masses too. I mean, we were lucky we started earlier, but I don't know what time you were out there. But you know, by the time nine thirty, ten o'clock, ten thirty, it was 
it was really hot. I think they, they changed like the warning of the heat index and that was brutal for people. Yeah. Two of my college buddies decided to come out and uh, cheer me on during the race. And for them, it was just great because they were like, oh, we didn't expect to get this kind of weather. And it was just a total vacation for them. <laughs> They're like, cool. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. One last thing about Atlanta. What did you and Young Jeezy talk about? Because you tweeted. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> It was really cool. Like they brought him to the press conference and I think, you know, on a special side, like he was really trying to do something where, you know, all the foundations that he does, he's trying to get Atlanta youth to start moving and be active. And he probably knows he has like one following. And so he's trying to take that following that he has from his music and actually like change the, the culture of Atlanta as far as like activity and movement. Um, so we didn't get to talk too much, but it was cool since I took a picture with him and then I tweeted and then like after the race, he tweeted like nice job champ. And I was like, okay, like I made it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, so no, it was just, I don't know. I think more races trying to bring in someone outside of the running world, but that still have, you know, relevance either in that community or na nationwide and globally. That's really great. And I think that's how we kind of elevate the sport and, and open it up to different channels. So that's definitely like one way. And I think like you're, you're someone who I think has a very good uh, like understanding and connection with not only just like the elite side of the sport, but you like have run enough races where there, it, they're just like, there's a huge contingent of, you know, the recreational runners, the people just like me who are out there and you do, you know, you have a great job of, of connecting kind of both sides for the sport, I guess, what are some of the major changes that you would like to see that help bridge that gap? Because it's, it's, it's sometimes a little crazy to me that it's just like, I love, you know, the elite side of sports and I interact with so many people that I train with, you know, weekly and stuff like that. And they have no idea what's going on in the front of the pack. And it's like, there's some really interesting stories. Like I wish like you guys could appreciate that more. And then there's the people, I guess, like how, I guess, can we close that, that gap? Yeah, no, I love that you like see that because I think that's something that it's so much like the legacy I want to leave on the sport. You know, I've been running professionally for 10 to 11 years and I just got to a point where I realized the only way our sport is going to grow is from fans and like how are fans going to do that you have to care about them for them to care about you and if you think about it they're the ones that fill the stands at track stadiums they're the ones that line the streets in major marathons so my kind of goal and I guess it's just been very easy I've just shared um, the like ups and downs and the real part of professional training because not to knock anyone else and it's great but I can't imagine that every pro-life runner is so great that you're just having croissants and coffee every day and just running and then you go and win races I mean it's not that easy you know there are some like dark times that you go through and so I've always hoped that pro athletes whatever their voices they just use it so like even if you're sarcastic if you're uh, love doing motivational quotes whatever it is just use that and be more engaging kind of in the world of, of track and field and road race uh, road racing then I think the back of the pack is going to know the front of the pack. Um, and it's almost like when you go see a movie, you go see a movie to see the plot develop, right? You don't walk into a movie theater in the last two minutes and you're like, what a great ending, <laughs> but some, you know? But sometimes I felt like that's how some of our, some of the pro athletes would behave. You would just be like, 
you don't see him, you don't see him. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, you ran that fast or won that? Like, how did you get from A to B? And the running world is just starving for information and they're, they're craving results. They want to know what times we run. So I don't do it to be boastful or like, but they would love to know what time did you run? What paces do you run? Cause then they can take that and try to translate that to their training. Um, so yeah, I would just like to see more pros doing that. And I think that they could show their sponsors that that's why they are of value, you know, as opposed to just their times and winning races. Yeah. And I totally I uh, believe that you, uh, all of NAZ Elite, and even and Ben has done a great job of, you know, getting that message across to not only just uh, his athletes, but just the fan base and being able to build that. Um, so, yeah, you guys are, are crushing it in that, on that end. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. So let's jump into some listener questions. You got quite a few, though, that were, uh, that were sent in and were pretty good. Um, Alyssa on Twitter asks, uh, what are some of your tips for recovery and injury prevention? So I guess general, generally, I guess, do you have any three that you go to for, for either one of those two? Well, this is great. Cause I think it's Alyssa who is coming to our adult running camp in two weeks. So oh, I'll get to, to, I'll get to tell her more detail, but no, probably just the, my rule of thumb is more prehab than rehab. Like it's really easy to just forget about all the exercises when you're running well, but usually that's the time when injuries pop up. Um, and so I always just say, Hey, if, if I have like 10 extra minutes that I'm either like looking on my phone or doing something that is probably not that important, use that to, um, you know, warm up my glutes. I always have band exercises I do. So when I was in my twenties, you could just run out the door and not worry about anything. But now it's like, activate the glutes, uh, do ankle mobility. So it's just a couple little like tricks I like to do, uh, before I start, um, before I start practice and then core work is huge. I try to never go more than two days without doing either side planks, bird dogs. Those are kind of my two go-to exercises that I think really engage the whole core. Um, what else is that? Injury prevention. Is that the other question? And recovery. Yeah. Yeah. It was recovery. recovery. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm lucky I use the Normatec recovery boots. So those are kind of just my go-to at the end of the day when the kids go to sleep. Um, we'll pop on some, it's Netflix and Normatec. <laughs> That's the new thing. Um, yeah, it is cool. Yeah, and, you know, maybe I'll have a glass of wine, get crazy. But, um, no, I think just trying to get off your feet as much as you can. For me, it's a luxury. It's my job, so I'm able to do that. But I know for people who have full-time jobs, it's much tougher. So I would just say, try to um, prioritize, like, if you don't have to be standing, could you be sitting? Can you sneak in a nap in your job? Um, little things like that. And, and then the last one is eat within 30 minutes of exercising. No matter what you do throughout the day, if you mess up on everything else, if you have something within that 30 minute um, window, that's when the glycemic index is uh, really important. And you want to have any kind of snack I would recommend picky bars, but you know, you could have anything you want, um, in that 30 minute window. Um, she also sent in a second question that says you came back very strong after a disappointing race in London. How were you able to overcome that disappointment and channel it into your future successes? So, yeah, I mean, like, did you immediately after London, I had the feel I was so disappointed. I was like, I just want to race right away. Just <laughs> throw me in another race. Like next week I ended up running like a 5k, like five days later and it was not not great but uh, <laughs> impressive but but after that I was just kind of like I want to recycle this fitness right away did you how did you go about it 
it's a smarter way, 100%. <laughs> no, but you're right. Like that emotion that you go through. I think what I did is I realized when you have like a bad result, you have to like grieve it and you have to really feel it. And I was like, I was very dejected and very upset because I knew all the work that I did. And I just felt this one component, which was my blood was like, not showing like who Stephanie Bruce was or what I was capable of. And so I had to realize that doesn't mean all the work I did went away. So when we planned my summer schedule, each race was just going to be a fun, like next race, there was no focal point. And I think that was really important because I didn't have this race up on a pedestal. And I asked Ben, we were going to do USAs. And I was like, Hey, can I do this 5k in New York? And it was like a month into training. And so he's like, yeah, like you're not going to be very prepared, but let's just do it. And that was the fly hoppers 5k. And that was like a huge shock because one, the 5k is not my specialty, but I was able to just go out there and just like grind and somehow I found myself like in the top three um, with like a K to go. And then I was able to finish second and I ran like a road PR of 1552. And so that to me was like, you know what? All the training from London is actually now paying off. So we didn't know, even though I didn't have the results, um, it was now paying off. And so I let each race after that just be what it was. Just this is the opportunity on the day. Don't put anything on a pedestal. And then is it also similarly like you're not – all right. Like in terms of the way a lot of pros kind of align their their outdoor season, it's kind of like there's there's one race and there's not really too many that they're focusing on after that, or like they say that they're not focusing on others. But you no, know, you know ahead of time that you've got X Y Z scheduled after that. For you, I guess is, is that how you kind of also went about scheduling your races, where it's one at a time, or or and, and just focusing just on that one race. Yeah, we actually didn't have an endpoint because what I experienced with London and even the last year, I would be training for a few weeks and then my blood would drop, like the levels would drop. And so I feel like crap. So coach Ben almost was like, I don't really know how long you're going to make it. And then we just kept like, I figured a lot out and then I just kept feeling better. And so even like after USA's and going into Petrie, we were like scrambling. I, I think I messaged you. I was trying to get into a 5k in Europe because I just wanted, I wanted to like capitalize on my fitness and almost, um, quantify how fit I was because I didn't have anything really time oriented this summer. Um, granted, like USA's are in 3205, but I felt like I was in much better shape. That was just tactical. But then I realized, you know, that won't go away. I'll, I'll get this fit again at some point. Um, but yeah, just use your fitness in whatever race you're racing and uh, you don't necessarily need a time to validate like how good you are on the day. And at the same time, you kind of have also had to pump the brakes a little bit on the racing to get into fall marathon training, right? Correct. Um, I'm racing one more race this weekend, the Wharf to Wharf out in Santa Cruz, and then I will take a break because I have to get what you say. We have to get unfit before we get fit again. <laughs> and you still, uh, that whole marathon selection thing is still in the works. Like you. I know what I'm running. I just can't tell you. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I tell you, but then I have to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure um, all the races are going to start doing their announcements in right. the next couple of weeks. That's exciting. Um, yeah. it, well, so you've done, I guess, New York, London. Are the marathon majors on your mind just down the road, like the six to, to get them done? It's a great, like, great way to see the world obviously just any sort of racing and having a professional racing career is an awesome way to go out and explore but for you i guess the six mar marathon majors is, is that something that could be i know becky wade and i talked about like she wants to do that at some point 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually have done Boston. I did Boston right. the year of the, bom- the year of the bombing, um, and I was 15th there. But yeah, we're trying to figure out um, how the timeline works going oh, that's into right. 20, You know, going into 2020, you either have two more marathons or three more marathons. So we really have to kind of like look at 2020 and plan backwards. Um, and then I guess a lot will determine if I make the team or not, whether I keep going, um, cause we want to have more kids, but I would definitely like to try to hit all the majors. Um, but I don't know how it'll work. I'd like to go back to Honolulu marathon and try to win that one day. So there's so many, I wish I could keep running <laughs> forever, but yeah, I think trying to hit all the majors would be up there in a goal. Definitely. Uh, Miles on Instagram asks, what, uh, what's the flat bruise for? <laughs> yeah. So that's really funny. Going back to like connecting to the masses. So a few years ago, my husband, Ben and I kept seeing like people would put out their bibs and their singlets just like on the bed. And I was like, how funny would it be? Like, why don't people just take a picture of their body with their jersey on and their bibs? So it was before this mountain to fountain race that I was like, Ben, just why don't you like do that so he put on his jersey and his bib and he laid on the ground and he has like a really awkward face I don't know why his face looks like he's like a mummy um but it just became his thing and so he started using the hashtag flat bruce and people started to pick up because like everyone does that but we were like just use yourself don't just put your singlet and your um bib in there like you're the one running, put yourself in it. And some people think it's hilarious. And then Jesse Thomas um, in the triathlon world started doing it. <laughs> and awesome. then of course, his look awesome because he had like a bike, he had like all his gear. And then of course he put his baby Zadie and that got like bonus points. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's kind of, it's just this fun thing to, I think, again, to connect the masses with the pros, flat Bruce. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Um, Sarah Minkus on, uh, on Twitter asks, how do you balance having kids and such a demanding career? I mean, it's, it's a general question that I'm sure you get a lot. I do get a lot. And, um, that the word balance is hard for me. I, um, I always like to say I don't uh, thrive, I survive doing it. Um, but you know, I always have to look at like, it was my choice. I wanted to have a long career running, but I also wanted to have kids and there's really no right time. It's very hard when you're in the thick of it and you're doing well to just want to stop and take a break. But I don't know. I kind of just wanted to see if it could be done. There weren't that many women before me that had done it. Um, you know, there are a few, Dina Kasser, Kara Goucher, Lauren Fleshman, they had done it. Um, but then I think the challenge is getting back to your top form and staying there. And we had planned to just have Riley before 2016. And then we got a little oops, surprise baby. And that was Hudson. Um, I found out when I was six months postpartum that I was pregnant. So that wasn't kind of in the plans, but it's very cool to think two and a half years later, now I have these two great boys um, that drive us crazy, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And so I think it just has made me more efficient with my time um, and then, I don't know, maybe when I go to races now, it's like, you got to get it done, mom, because you're away and you're having babysitters, watch your kids or Ben is staying home. So I want to make sure that I am getting the most out of myself. And that really motivates me in the race to like dig a lot deeper. Yeah. And you rattled off some, some names like Kara, uh, who have done such a great job of being examples of, of the fact that you can come back from, from a pregnancy to, 
to reach, you know, a high level of, of, of competition. And so when I asked, I guess, Gwen Jorgensen this uh, for like, what kind of advice you would impart on someone wanting to get back into to running, not necessarily even just like training for marathons, just, just running in general. Uh, she said, she, get, she said two pieces of advice. The first was like one, you had to be patient with yourself. And the second one was, you know, she recommended finding a pelvic floor specialist and physical therapist who can, who can help you. Um, so I guess like what, would your pieces of advice be? And like, would you want, you can add to what, what Gwen has said. I'm going to take credit. I feel like I told Gwen both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> no, cause I was texting with her like over the fall. And honestly, I was like, don't rush. You're doing great. And then I actually connected her with the lady that I saw for my um, postnatal. Yeah. And her name is Celeste Goodson. I um, mean, she does recore. So yeah, I mean, those are the best things. Don't rush um, and then don't compare yourself to who you used to be. Like you're a different person now. You're a mom. You have a new body um, and everyone goes at different speeds. Like The way Gwen came back, the fact that she ran what she did in the first seven months is like unfathomable to me because I could barely run like 60 miles a week where she was running a hundred, you know, but you also have to look at circumstances. She had the luxury of maybe having her husband like really help so she could maximize her recovery and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think for everyone else, just give yourself a little bit of a break um, and know that it does take time. And eventually, you know, you'll find your way back to you, I guess. Yeah. And there was, I guess, like when I think I did tweet out, this uh, the SI article that I did with with Gwen, where she gave um, you know that that advice. There was, I guess, one tweet that I got back that was like, "Well, the second piece of advice it could be a little daunting for some women." And so, I guess, like, do you, have have you, I guess, like, heard that criticism to that second point, like the postpartum part, or just like well, the seeing the pelvic uh, floor specialist? Oh yeah, you know. Well, because what happens is you have a baby and then you go to your OBGYN six weeks later and they're like, all right, you're good to go. And I'm like, good to go. What do I do the rest of my life down here? <laughs> you know, and so I think that's like the scary part of being a woman. And not only like do women go through that, then you also need to ask your body to be an athlete. So you go from this like what I call the most unnatural, natural experience of childbirth. And then now you're like, okay, cool. Now can you train at like the highest level possible? And so I think if we could have more women in that field that kind of connect going from the doctor to the postnatal care, um, even before you see like chiropractors or physical therapists, finding someone that you can really one, like talk about issues. And I think that's what I've tried to do a little bit in my like social world is, yeah, I'm not changing lives by any means by running or what I'm doing, but I'm trying to make the conversation more acceptable that women can talk about pelvic floor health or peeing your pants. And like that stuff happens to us, even if you're a high level athlete. So maybe just giving women the permission that it's okay if all this weird crap happens to your body after having kids. Yeah, definitely. And again, like your social media channels do a great job of, and we'll, at the end of the show, we'll tell people, I guess, where they can follow you to, so they can get all that. Um, Jay on Instagram asks, what was your first reaction to Hoka shoes? Because I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're a major player now in the, in the running world. Um, but for some people, I guess it's like, you see them for the first time you're like, Oh, that, that would not. And when you feel them, it's like, it's not what I expected. <laughs> Oh, for sure. So I first tried them when I was pregnant. So I think 
I was actually lucky because there was so much cushion. It felt really great. And this is when like the Clifton one was first out. Um, and so I was like, this is awesome. So I like trained the rest of my pregnancy in them. And I actually raced a 5k when I was like six months pregnant. Um, they didn't have any flats yet, but it wasn't a problem for me. But I know when some people were first trying it, kind of the maximal part of it was like took a little getting used to, but like any great shoe company that begins, um, they just were in their inception. And so they just needed pro athletes to test flats on. And now they have a huge array of selection. Um, you know, they've just launched like their lifestyle shoes, their fly collection. And so it was kind of an easy transition because we almost like Northern Arizona elite grew with, uh, Hoka in the, in the early years and the flats that they have, I think the tracer are going to be like the next great marathon in shoe. Um, and then their spikes came out before the 2016 trials. So we haven't had any problems and really, I think they're only going to go up from here. And then what's hilarious is then what do you see other shoe companies doing? Like first they'll knock maximalist, but then every shoe company after I was like, Oh, we came out with our extra cushion <laughs> or like max maximal shoe. And I'm like, yeah, that's what Hoka was doing. So I think they have a nice balance and mix and anyone who's ever, like you said, try them you have to try them instead of just like judge on looks because I've never met anyone who's like, they don't work for me. You just need yeah. to give them a try. And it's cool. They have like the 30 day where you could actually buy the shoe and um, try them. And if they don't work, you can send them back after 30 days. So it's kind of cool. Uh, what are you racing in right now? I wear the tracer too. Gotcha. So I train, I train in the Clifton um, four now the Clifton five and then I race. Well, actually I'm not supposed to like say, but I was wearing like a prototype that hopefully will come out next fall. Hopefully they don't punish me for saying that, but that's actually what I won Peachtree in. So hopefully that'll come to market and that'll be a cool shoe. Definitely. Uh, Meg Bellino asks, who do you miss more, Craig Lutz or me? <laughs> Ooh, that's a tough one. Probably Meg. And I'm going to see them this weekend in Santa Cruz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to sneak that one in there. Uh, totally. Drew asks, uh, have your high school coaches made an impact on you as a person and athlete? And do you still stay in contact with them? So I'm, I'm assuming they're a high school coach. Yeah. yeah, that's a great question. You know, my high school coach is Dave Van Sickle down at Xavier College Prep, and he's been coaching for 35 years. And I think he's the most underrated or not talked about high school coach in the country because he shaped how I view myself as a woman, how I like a lot of body image. Um, I just attribute like his knowledge on me of how I've been able to have a really long career. And um, my dad passed away at the end of my college, excuse me, at the end of my high school career. And so Dave almost was like a second dad figure to me. And I still talk to him every few weeks and he's actually hopefully coming up to work at our adult running camp. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I go to him with a lot. So I think a high school coach is really someone that is, is pivotal in a kid's future career. Um, next up, we've got the final four questions that I ask every guest. So usually it's three, but now going forward, it's going to be four because uh, last week with Shelby, I got a great, uh, great answer out of one question. She's like, you have to start asking this to everyone else because it's great. Uh, so the first one, uh, this one's uh, one of the traditional ones meanest thing that you read about yourself on let's run.com <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I so have this this is great so a couple of years ago 
Um, it was, I think when I was still living in Eugene, maybe it was something about, so not many people know this. When I first like came out of college, I was just trying to figure out like finding my space in the running world. And I didn't have the time to really join a group or really get a contract. And so both Ben and I, at the time, um, I babysat and nannied and then we cleaned houses. So like we were at like the bottom of the barrel and we just had to put in our time till we believed that we could run at that next level. Um, but I remember like I would still go to coffee shops and treat myself with stuff like that. And so there was a picture of me, I think at wandering goat and someone was like, maybe she should go to the dentist. <laughs> and it was like a selfie. Yeah. And it was like, cause I had a tooth that was like a little bit of a snaggle tooth. And I'm like, that's all you have let's run maybe I should go to the dentist <laughs> so that was probably the like meanest as far as um just like surface level stuff <laughs> yeah yeah do you do a good job of like tuning it out and just like nothing like- I, I do because you know what I actually met Weldon and Robert Johnson right before let's run started oh, out okay. in Flagstaff and so I love them and I think they do great things for the sport and their website is awesome but there are a bunch of <laughs> jack jack aces on that website and i have to realize a lot of them just probably didn't get to run to the level they want to and so but right any great sport you have to be able to accept criticism the bigger you get you know f- a good football um message boards i'm sure they're horrible and yeah. you know ter- tearing people's characters down so you have to have tough skin yeah especially since we're living in like the twitter era twitter era especially like it must be like the hardest thing being like an nba player an nfl player on twitter because no matter what you do someone yes. someone has their two cents to throw in um, that's right the new i have that person no i got braces and i did fix my teeth since then so <laughs> there you face. go <laughs> <laughs> the new question that's going to be asked to every guest going forward uh, what is the funniest drug testing story that you have with a USADA drug tester where maybe they had to spend, I don't know, two hours with you. They couldn't track you down or like, I don't like, did you end up spending watching? I, I think someone once told me they ended up watching like half a season of Dexter with like, uh, <laughs> with the, with the tester because they, they just couldn't go. <laughs> no, that is good. I think mine's probably something. It's not that funny, but Uh, It was here in Flag probably in the last like year and a half and they just watched a whole kids movie with us because we had the boys home and I don't know what it was but we were like sorry like this is what we're watching and yeah they got there and I think I had just peed and it's like the worst feeling in the world where you get the knock and you're like I just flushed the toilet like you have got to be kidding me and um so we were like, well, we're in it for the long haul. And I know you offer them like food and drink and they can't really take anything. And so the boys were home and we were like, we're watching a Disney movie. So you guys are in. And yeah, I don't remember what movie, but we just had to sit. And I think we made it through the whole movie before <laughs> before I did. And I don't know. I'm sure everyone does this, but I like did jumping jacks. I was just trying to get things going and it took a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> Shelby says she just took two beers and just crushed them right away. And it's like, I know. <laughs> No, people like you can have beer and coffee. The only danger with that is like your um the what's it called the specific gravity. Like you can oh, mess up your right. like hydration level. That's the only negative about like either having coffee or beer. But that does work sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the other traditional final final questions: If you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, assuming they could hold a conversational pace with you, where where would this run take place, and who would it be with? I hate these questions. These are so hard. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so boring with these because 
I mean, of course, because I've seen it through like the running world, I definitely want to visit St. Moritz um, because it just looks beautiful. And my dad actually worked in Switzerland. And so I would love to be able to go there and see. I never got to. I know it sounds like also strange. I can't pick of anything, anyone cool from history. And this is kind of a weird one, but I would probably like since my dad passed away and he never got to see like me running professionally or meet my kids, I would love to like him go on a run with me now. There you know go. what I mean? That's a great more, like, heartfelt, but I feel like it would be pretty cool to like just go on a 30 minute run. That was the only time I could talk to him. Oh, perfect. That's like a, okay. that's, that's definitely one of the better answers. We've gotten the worst answers. Probably it's someone who said like <laughs> Steve Prefontaine. It's like, that's such a low hanging fruit. Come yeah, on. You're like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. At least it's someone that, yeah. Okay. This is a great answer. Um, okay. The last one, which I guess has been a hit with Scott Smith. He, he loves, I guess, listening to, to this answer to the question. So it's, you get 25 shots from half court of a basketball court. If you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots? I would, because I think I'm really good at free throws. Okay. <laughs> I would. I totally would. Yeah. And well, you can tell Scott or I can, because he's my teammate, but yeah. I think we need to do it in AZ Elite, like guy versus girl um, free throw, because I think that would be yeah. pretty epic. Well, so this is, this is half court. Half court. Shot. Oh, this is half court. Oh shit. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I might have to take that one back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would. Do, I don't think I would get that. No, I would pass. <laughs> yeah, I think Scott did end up making them. Like he attempted them one day, and I forget how many chances it took him because some people have said 25 is a lot. But then I think it's like once you get to 20 and you haven't made them, the nerves have to kick in. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Or just you're tired. Like it's a pretty far way to shoot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's um, really funny. Well, Steph, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. It was a lot of fun. Um, and we wish you the best of luck in this last race that you've got coming up. And then after that, it's marathon training. That's That's got to be exciting. <laughs> it's very exciting. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, and so where can people follow you, I guess, on Twitter, Instagram, and, and all that? So, I mean, it's just, it's a treasure trove of, of knowledge when it comes to just racing expertise, just anything, really. Yeah, so Twitter is just Steph underscore Rothstein. It's my maiden name. And on Instagram, it's Steph Rothstein. I should probably change those handles because my name is Bruce now. But um, And then um, we have, Ben and I have a website, which is just Steph and Ben uh, com. So any of those channels, you can find me. Many thanks to Steph for taking the time to do that interview and apologies to the listeners for the delay in getting this episode out. We had a couple of scheduling issues where we thought we were going to have more than one Big Meat Pod episode after the Monaco and London Diamond Leagues, but we could only do Monaco. We got tied up with some other things, but uh, the race that she mentioned, Wharf to Wharf, has already happened. It was a six-mile race and Steph finished fourth overall in 3104 she was the top american woman in the race so congratulations to her on another solid showing and how she could turn her attention to marathon training and we'll stay tuned to hear what marathon she's picked to race in the fall Uh, but that does it for this episode of the city's bank podcast a reminder consider donating to the patreon it's patreon.com slash mag to keep this show going any bit of your support is great we're trying to bring you guys the best guests and the best interviews so uh anything you guys can do to chip in 
is fantastic. And we're looking to continue bringing some big name talent because the next guest coming later this week, it's a double episode week. Courtney Frerichs, fresh off setting the American record in the 3,000 meter steeplechase at the Monaco Diamond League, is coming on the show. We're taping that interview tomorrow, so stay tuned, and I'll catch you guys on Friday. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. And remember, the legs are feeling good. <laughs>